we have from the very beginning the first man. And God says the first man, Adam. Not the second, third, or fourth. The first man was Adam. Who said that? God's Word says that. So if God says the first man was Adam, I just believe what God said. I don't put a billion before him walking around, grunt, 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 grunt. I don't believe that. I believe God created the first man. And that the first man was the most intelligent man. Because he was able to, well, I guess you could say, name everything that God ever made. And because of that, it's very, very important to realize that the first man had a language because no man ever created languages. Start one. Create your own language. But we're supposed to believe that a blob that can't think originated a mouth and eyes and ears. And they didn't even know ahead of time there was light waves or sound waves. Or that there would be words to communicate to somebody else. Why? Because he didn't know that anybody else existed. Why? Because he couldn't see them. He couldn't hear them. Why? Because he can't hear so what came first? The light of the eye. You saw every step in evolution is a greater miracle than creation itself. Why? Because it did it by itself. It's easier for me to believe that in the beginning, God did something. So I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And that I believe that God could create with the appearance of age. God said that he made man. Take your Bible and look here in chapter 2 of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. And look there in verse 7. Verse 7. Verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Now stop right there. That means he took something he had already made from something that he created out of nothing. Because see, there wasn't anything. So God made something, and then he was able to take something and make a man. And he formed a man. But he wasn't yet the man until God breathed into his body the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So he already formed the body. But he didn't create or form it in vain. He didn't do that for no purpose. He wasn't through yet. He formed the body. Then he breathed into it. Is it possible that in the beginning God can create out of nothing the heavens and the earth and then he starts making what he wants to out of it? And not that he created it and it became void or in vain or empty or what? No, God not through with what he did. And so we have, I believe, the good possibility that the earth could be a young earth and not an older. Nobody can tell me that I do not understand the old age theory. I know it very well. I know every bit of the logic that's used. I know every scripture that someone uses to present the old age theory and that there was a judgment from the word was and then we have everything else that's come from that. So I know the thoughts, the theory, but I'm not sure that it's the truth, the total truth. 
So is there a possibility that it could be another explanation? Let's just pretend that God created the heavens and the earth just like he said. Now, can he create with the appearance of age? I mean, God. God made a rock. There's a rock. Ah, how old is that rock? Well, we can check it and see how old this rock is. Wait a minute, God just made it. It's brand new. God laid the foundations of the earth. Well, these down here had to get here first, and then those on top of it. So therefore, uh, it takes thousands of years. Is it possible that God could create and make oil and put oil wherever he wants it in the earth, and it didn't have to come because of vegetation that over the millions and millions of years? You're trying to tell me my God can make gold, and my God can make silver, but my God can't make oil? I believe he can. I believe God can create with the appearance of age. When he made Adam and Eve, do you think they were capable of bearing children? Right off the bat. When he made a tree, well, just look at it. Look at this tree. See there in Genesis in chapter 1. Look what he says there in verse 11. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. God is able to create the seed and the tree all at one time. And it can bear fruit, and it was an evening and the morning. See there in verse 13? An evening and the morning was the third day. In one revolutionary turn of the earth, Lo and behold, a tree that can bear fruit. Well, how old was the tree? 24 hours old. Well, just by the mere fact that there's a tree. Well, it takes so long for this tree to develop. It has to come from the seed and grow up. It has to be 20, 30 years old. No, it's brand new. How old was Adam? Well, it was brand new. Couldn't God make a brand new earth? Is it possible? Mm, I believe there's a possibility. And God says he made everything where it would recreate after its own kind. The power of recreation, the power of procreation, we call it. And everybody, and even people, we are able to reproduce after our own kind. That's the way God set it up in the very beginning. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of Exodus in chapter 20. The book of Exodus. And you'll notice there's a, a statement made here that I think you'll find pretty interesting. Exodus chapter 20. Remember this. God used Moses to write the first five books of the Bible. True? All right. If he understood what he says here in the book of Exodus, God also used him to write the book of Genesis. So it was done by the same writer. So what Moses wrote here is a reference to back there. But look what he says there in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. He says here, six days. 
and he's talking to Israel and talking to them about the Sabbath day, which mentions up there in verse 8 and, and so forth. And he's talking about a literal 24-hour period or a one revolutionary turn of the year. And these six days, they're not long geological ice ages. They're literal days. And he's the one that God used to write this, and he's the same one that wrote the book of Genesis. Same guy. And he said back then it was one revolutionary turn. One evening and a morning was the first day. Evening and morning was the second day. And how do the Jewish people count their time? Evening and a morning. I'm not making it up. But sometimes, you know, there's another way of looking at something. Does it mean you don't believe the Bible? No, there's just sometimes not everybody sees everything exactly the same way. So you can hold the, it's really old. And then you got room to put in all the things that evolutionists teach. Because if they got enough time, it's possible. And sometimes it's because we don't know how to explain some of these things that, well, where did they come from? Where, where do they go? So I want you to take and think about this. Go now to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel 28. Uh, there's a statement that's made here about the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden. Wouldn't you like to have been there, seen that? That would have been wonderful. In the Ezekiel 28, talk about the king of Tyre, but we know behind the scenes that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. And that the kingdom that he offered to Christ, he says, he showed them to him in a moment of time upon the Mount of Transfiguration, whenever he was talking to him about, you know, he's going to, he tempted him, and so therefore he promised him the kingdoms of the world. So in Ezekiel 28, it's talking about here, somebody that's behind the scene, behind the man that does the wrong, there's a reason for it. And I want you to see there in verse 12. This is on page 871. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealeth up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Now this is a statement about the devil, Lucifer, when he was a, an anointed cherub, when he was an angel of light. This is when he was in his beauty. And he says, in verse 13, you ought to underline this in your Bible, Thou hath been in Eden the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the tobaz, the diamond, and the beryl, and the onyx, and the jasper, and the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and the gold, and the workmanship of thy tablets, and of thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I blah, 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 blah. In verse 15, thou wast perfect in thy ways. From the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Now this, we believe that is a reference to Satan himself. But this is a reference to him when he was in the garden, and yet he was perfect and in beauty. But now when, when was the garden done? Go all the way back there to the book of Genesis again. Back to the book of Genesis in chapter 2. And chapter 2, look now in verse 8. Look in verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden. Isn't that wonderful? God planted a garden. Imagine what it looked like. 
When did he plant this garden? Well, look what he says in verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul, and the Lord God planted a garden. So he planted the garden right there at the time when he made the man. And he put the man in the garden. So the garden was there when God made the man. Satan, before he fell, was in the garden. Before he fell. So then that means it could not have been a prehistoric judgment upon the earth because of the angels or the devil that sinned against God and brought all of this judgment upon the earth. Another thing. Take your Bible and turn over there with me to the book of Romans in chapter 5. Romans and chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And look there in verse 12. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. This is on page 1197. In verse 12, it makes this statement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Now, if there was death upon the earth before God made Adam and Eve, then that means that there had to be sin upon the earth before Adam and Eve. And if there was all these animals and whatever, and they all died back then because of that, then sin did not come into the world by a man, but by the devil. God says, by one man. Now get this. So in verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam. From Adam. Not before Adam, from Adam. Now, we can twist all of this if we want and try to make it say something else, but if you go strictly by what God says, you can't do the other way. Only by twisting. Making it say something it does not say. So he says, Death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, the last part of verse 12. So is there a possibility? Now let's take and do something else. Let's take another look now at Jeremiah chapter 4. Go to Jeremiah and chapter 4. We were there just a moment ago, but let's uh, visit there one more time. Jeremiah chapter 4. And notice something here. Look in verse 23. As you look at the scripture in its context, verse 23, I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and that's because God wasn't finished yet. And the heavens, and they had no light. Well, that's because later on God said, let the Spirit moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. But look in verse 24. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. I beheld, and lo, there was no man. All the birds of the heavens were fled. Well, of course, if they hadn't been created yet. If they hadn't been created yet, I could understand that. But that's not what he's saying. You see, look down in verse 29. The whole city shall flee from the noise of the horsemen and the bowmen. There uh, they shall go into the thicket and climb upon the rocks and get to every city shall be forsaken and not a man dwell therein. This is not talking about before God ever made the heavens and the earth. This is talking about a judgment coming upon Israel. Look what he says down there in verse 1 of chapter 5. Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek 
and the broad places thereof, underline that statement. If ye can find a man. So you think we're talking about back there in the dinosaur days. We're talking about back there in the prehistoric days with the Cro-Magnon and the Heidelberg man and all that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a judgment where God says there's no man left and there's no birds and so like that. There's judgment coming upon the earth. This is a future one, not a past one. At least that's my humble opinion. But if I'm going to use this verse, then I need to keep this verse in its context. And in the context, it's not saying that. I think it's a misapplication of the Scripture. I'll look there in Isaiah 24. Since we're close and we looked at the other one, look back there at Isaiah 24. Isaiah 24 and look in verse 1. I believe this is in the future. This is a judgment that is coming, not one that has passed. See there in verse 1 of Isaiah 24. Verse 1, Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty, and maketh it waste, and turneth it upside down, and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. Oh, you're going to scatter the inhabitants. So you can't separate it from the inhabitants. Oh, look down in verse 6. Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. Now you think it's talking about past or future. You can twist it all you want, but if you go by what it says, you can't use these scriptures to validate something else. And even though I love the old Schofield reference Bible, I believe it's in error. Well, look what it says in verse 5. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the what? You think it's talking about animals? These animals transgressed the laws of God. I don't think so. I think he's talking about people that have received the law and have transgressed the law and God's going to judge. It's not what God wants. Isn't God in the future going to recreate this earth and this whole world is going to be destroyed? And we're going to have a new heavens and a new earth? I think the Bible says something like that. I do believe it's in there. Look in chapter 45 since you're right here. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45 and verse 18. In verse 18, I believe that it's a reference to the Lord and what is going to take place. See the verse 17? But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth, made it, he hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret. And this says in the last part of verse 19, Seek ye me. Those that I said not unto the seed of Jacob, Seek ye me in vain. Does it mean there's no people? No, there were people, but they believed in vain. God created the heavens and the earth. But he didn't create the earth to be void and empty. He created it for a reason. All these things that God has placed in his word, we're supposed to read and study and so forth. So look in verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. So it's a reference to what God is going to do in his salvation. 
And there's people that don't listen. God says there's going to be a great judgment coming upon the earth. There's going to be a great tribulation period. Many people are going to be destroyed upon the face of the earth. And so, um, yes, I believe that there's a good possibility that maybe the earth isn't that old. But when it comes to the future, it's not going to change anything, whether you believe it's on old earth or a young earth. There's good people on both sides, and it's not going to change the present or the future. But I do believe that we should not be afraid of looking at the scriptures and seeing what it says and maybe something that you want to study a little bit more so on your own. Let me explain this. Because this is the word of God, and I believe it's true, but it's so easy to show how that you can read a couple of verses and come up with one way and then read a couple more verses and it seems like you're going the other way. This is how people are doing it with the gospel. They'll read some scriptures in the uh, Word of God that talks about you've got to earn and work and be, you know, according to your faith and work hard and church and praying and giving and all these things. But then they put it to salvation. And then you read some other verses and it's simply by faith and faith alone. And then you'll read a verse that says, and not by faith only. And you go, what's he talking about? See, when you're talking about salvation going to heaven, it's by grace and not by works. After you trust Christ as your Savior, God wants us to realize that we're going to be rewarded in this life and in heaven by our works, the things that we do. So therefore, it's not just to stand around and say, well, I believe, I believe, I believe. Well, you may go to heaven by faith alone. But the rewards that you earn is because of what you've done for the Lord. So there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talks about serving and working. But you're not doing it to get to heaven. You see, I did not have to promise my mother and dad how I was going to live before they let me come into the world. Wouldn't that have been interesting? My mama saying, now listen to me, Yankee. You're, you're not getting out of here unless you promise me you're going to live right. I promise... Well, did anybody have to do that? No. You don't promise God how you're going to serve Him and live for Him in order to be born into His family. You're born by simply accepting the payment Christ made for you. Now, after you're saved, there's a lot of things God wants us to do. But we don't do it to get to heaven. We do it because we're God's children, because we're going to heaven. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. And the wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. You see, God says that sin came in the world because there was a sinner. A man sinned against God. And because of sin, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Since we've all sinned, we're all condemned. But God loves us. And He wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven... We have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We're not good enough to go to heaven because we've all sinned. We have an old sinful nature, so we can't go to heaven. So how am I going to get there? Well, God says you can't earn your way there. You can't be good because you're already bad. You've already done things wrong. And if you try to live perfectly for the rest of your life, it's impossible because you can't. You can't live a perfect life. Impossible. You may want to, desire to, but you can't. This hand represents Jesus Christ. 
He's the Lord. God came into the world. He made the world. And He came into the world. But the world received Him not. But to as many as would believe that He paid for their sins. To them gave He the right or the power, the authority to become the sons of God. Only God's children get to go to heaven. Because all of God's children, in God's eyes, are perfect. Because Christ paid for all of their sins. See, all my sins are paid for, so God doesn't see my sins. They're all paid. Because the wages of sin and death, Christ died for my sins. And so all I had to do was believe He did it for me. And He would put this payment to my account, and I get to go to heaven on what He did for me. Best news in all the world. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, wouldn't it be a good logical thing that if all of this is true and God did create you and you are a sinner and you have sinned and you're going to die and there is a heaven and there is a hell, doesn't it make sense to trust Christ as your Savior so you can go to heaven when you die? A man would have to be a fool to turn down a free gift. Because there's no tricks to it. There's no gimmicks to it. We're not asking you to stop anything, join anything. We're just saying, will you receive what Christ did for you? Will you believe He did it for you? He died and paid for your sins. What that means is, is you don't have to pay for them if He paid for them. It means all those bad things I've done or ever will do, I don't have to pay for them in hell. He paid for them. All of them. You say, well, you don't deserve that. I know. God calls it Grace. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you just talk to the Lord? See, I can't save you. So don't, no, no sense trying to trust me or this church. But will you trust Jesus Christ? He's the Lord. You can't make a mistake. By trusting the only true and living God there is, would you believe that He died and paid for your sins? And if you will trust Him right now, God said He would save you right now and give you the free gift of eternal life. Doesn't that make sense? Will you trust Him? If you will, I'd like to have prayer for you. And so I'm going to ask in just a moment, I'm going to ask you if you'll raise your hand. Raising your hand is just to let me know that what I said made sense. And you like for me to have prayer for you in closing. And I sure would. So anyone before we close say, yes, that made sense to me, and I'll trust Christ as my Savior. Just slip it up very quickly and put it right back down. Yes, God bless you, hon. I see that. God bless you, sir. I appreciate that. It's just a sign of good judgment. Anyone else before we close say, yes, that made sense to me, and I will trust Christ as my Savior. Anyone else? If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't have to do it again. But if you've never done it, don't leave without trusting the Lord. Our Father, we thank you so much for all you've done for us. We're thankful for the free gift of eternal life. We ask your blessings upon these that indicated by an uplifted hand that this day, this moment, they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. By doing so, they become your child, your child forever, that you'll never cast them out and never lose them. And Father, we ask your blessings upon this church. We do pray especially for the Bible Line Radio Ministry. Father, there's people out there that can be able to, to give and support it. But, Father, we have to leave that in your hands. And we just trust that your will will be done. Thank you so much for this day. Bless each one in Christ's name we pray. Amen.